What up, people? Welcome to the Mind Body Hoops podcast. This is your host, Max McCoy, and I just want to start off with a little intro to this podcast and just, first of all, thanking you for tuning in, and secondly, just just so you know what this podcast is about. This is all about you and I learning together. Like This is me following my curiosity and hoping that you can take some value out of it. It's about becoming a better athlete, becoming a better performer by learning from you know top experts and top performers themselves and and beyond just being a better hooper and a better athlete and a better performer this this podcast is a kind of aim to help you and I become just better humans man like I'm trying to bridge the gap between what makes a hooper and a human healthy and successful and whatever and this podcast and my brand with Mind Body Hoops is all about you know a holistic approach to athletics and holistic you know it's just a well-rounded approach to everything we do so if we're happy humans if we're intelligent humans if we're well-informed humans we're going to perform better we're going to be better hoopers and uh that's what this podcast is about man so thank you for tuning in i hope you have an open mind i hope you are excited about this podcast and are excited to do the small things that will make you great whether that's becoming happier whether that's feeding your body what it needs whatever it is like we're doing this together let's knock this shit out and i hope you enjoy welcome to the mind body hoops podcast there's basically only three ways that an athlete can improve and one of them is physically so increasing increasing your strength flexibility speed there's the skill side of you know being a better athlete which is you know for basketball getting a better handle becoming a better shooter whatever that is and then the mindset is the third and for me mindset is such a big important factor if you take your three categories of mind body and skill and average those out you'll see kind of the average of what you are as a player and so if you're neglecting the mindset side of your game you're leaving a whole chunk out of your average of what you can be as a player so this podcast this episode today i'm joined by devin markle she's the head of mindset development over at Mamba Sports Academy. Um, Mamba Sports Academy is an awesome facility in my local area, just outside of LA. And I got to connect with Devin at the facility. It's an amazing facility where they treat athletes with this similar mind-body hoops approach that I have, this whole holistic, treating the whole athlete um, in terms of mind, body, and hoops. And they do it for all types of sports, but of course we talked basketball. Devin is a consultant over at Mamba Sports Academy. She also has her own practice as a um, clinical psychologist. She does sports psychology, but then she also helps teenagers and, and people with clinical side of things. So things like depression, anxiety, the whole works. So she's a cool mix of helping, you know, young athletes and then even some professional athletes with things that occur off the court and then things that occur off the court she's a cool blend of sports psychology and clinical work so me and her connect on the fact that when we treat things like you know pre-game nerves or you know in-game anxiety or overthinking things like that those are things that we suffer and, and need to deal with and get better at to perform better on the court but when we deal with like lack of confidence or, or a lot of nerves that's usually something we deal with off the court too. And so me and her talk about it in a way that definitely will help your game. But we both connect on the fact that we should be treating these people as a whole. And like for me specifically, like if I'm dealing with something on the court, I can usually take a step back and realize that something outside of the court is coming into my game. So if I'm lacking confidence in other areas of my life, that might come into my game. Or if I'm overthinking and anxious, there's a good chance that 
it's not just when I'm shooting free throws. It's probably like when I'm about to go do a meeting or like for students out there, if you have a test, maybe you get anxious before a test too. So approaching mindset and like mentality as a overall human first and and making sure we have these tools and these resources to deal with things like you know nerves and anxiety and lack of confidence so that we can apply it to any aspect of our life whether that's performing well on the court or performing in other areas of our lives mental health and mental performance comes down to performance doesn't matter what sport what game it's all the same shit so me and Devin go deep into that we talk about The number one thing she comes across with her professional athletes and then the teenagers as well, everybody's dealing with lack of confidence and we talk about that. We talk about another common thread with her is um, people dealing with anxiousness and anxiety. We go deep into that. We go deep into how she got there, how she got to Mamba Sports Academy, how she got into this kind of work, her story. And then from there, we kind of dive deeper into the actionables and what we can apply today. So this episode's super important. Uh, a true pro and a really smart girl. I had an amazing conversation with her and it was really cool connecting with her uh, over at the Mamba Sports Academy. So let me know if you guys enjoy this. Again, another episode on mindset development. This is such an important topic and I think Devin did a really good job of laying it out for us. She's uh, well-educated in this field and she's much smarter than I am. So I hope you guys learn from her. I definitely did. So without further ado, here's my conversation with head of mindset development over at Mamba Sports Academy, Devin Markle. So I will start by asking you, Devin, like I've done my research on you, but what, what do you do? And like, why do you do How'd you get to where you are right now? Um, so I'm a certified mental performance consultant. Um, so basically it means I specialize in sports psychology, working with athletes, um, anywhere from their performance on the court to anxiety, depression, really anything in the psychology realm. <laughs> and you say so you have your own practice and you are a consultant at Mamba Academy as well? Yeah, so I own Devin Marco Consulting, um, and that's really how I got tied into Mamba, uh, Mamba Sports Academy. So I was the director of Mindset Development and Sports Academy for three years. And then when they transitioned to Mamba Sports Academy, then I joined to consult for NFL pre-draft, NBA pre-draft, and Nike Sports Academy. Very cool. And so you were an athlete yourself, and, and why did you kind of like fall into, not fall into, but decide to pursue this? Like for me, it's out of my own necessity and feeling like I wanted to provide information that I wasn't available to when I was an athlete. And when I left the game, I was like, okay, this was definitely missing. So mm-hmm. was it similar for you? Yeah, so I am from the East Coast. I'm from Connecticut, small town. Um, So I picked up lacrosse when I was in ninth grade, which on the East Coast is very late to the game. Oh, really? Yes. East Coast lacrosse lacrosse is is very big. So I was late to the game that way. Um, before then, I was actually a competitive equestrian. Um, horseback riding. Oh, nice. Equestrian, okay. But kind of faced the burnout of it being like a job, wasn't fun. And so I picked up lacrosse and was just really lucky that I was just good at it, just naturally good at it. Um, and so small town, pretty much like it was easy. 
all-star four-year varsity starter like it just was easy came natural came natural and then people started to say like okay like are you gonna play in college and basketball is actually my first like favorite sport Mm -hmm. but I'm five feet tall so that (laughs) career was gonna end at some point and so I was like okay and then I started to get some looks from some d3s and d2 schools um and I actually decided, though, to go to University of Vermont because of their psychology program. I was already drawn to psychology. Oh, you were? Okay. Um, and I was like, okay, maybe it's time to be a regular kid and, and step away from sport and just focus on school. Well, I got there and I was absolutely miserable without a team, without sports. Yeah. I, it was my first time in 18 years not playing a sport. Um, so I actually called up one of the coaches who had recruited me from a D3 school and said, I think I messed up. I'm so sorry. Like, can I transfer? Can I play? What do I have to do? And she said, I'll take you, but I really think you're a D1 athlete. And so I want you to try to be a walk on there first. And if you can't walk on, then I'll take you back. And I don't know what clicked. I was just like, all right, then I guess that's what I'm going to do. And so I walked into the coach's office that week I was probably only in my second month of school there wow said okay like what do I need to do and she's like well it's too late this year I'm done recruiting I have a full roster next fall you can be ready and so I trained for that next year um and I don't know I just was like okay let's do this I've always been good kind of fearless and I was really fortunate that then my sophomore year, I was a walk-on. Wow. But That's a cool with story. that comes the transition that I wasn't prepared for. Like, okay, now everyone's the best of the best at a D1 school. I'd only played four high school years. Everyone else had played club, had played since they were eight. They're stick skills. And all of a sudden, my confidence was just completely shaken mm-hmm. I you would have thought like I would have been on the high of like all right I made the team and it was actually the complete opposite like how do I fit in how do I play at this level um just the grind in general t1 grind is intense and so you had you were kind of like shaking in your boots right away yeah right away my whole mindset I just felt like I wasn't clicking. I wasn't getting to the zone. And I, that was always so easy for me to get into the zone previously. So I was like, mm-hmm. what is happening? And fortunately, my team actually had two sports psychologists who worked with our team with um, wow. group workshops. And that's when it clicked for me, like, oh, this makes sense. This is the missing piece. Like, physically, I can be here. Skill-wise, I can work on that. But the missing piece was that mental part. And so right away my sophomore year I'm like all right I'm already a psych major let's add sports psych to this mix it just Mm. made sense um and then on top of that I was I was dealing with some anxiety myself with performance and just was like okay it doesn't stop on the field anymore so yeah that's super common for it was common for me for me it was the opposite stepping away from the game like you said like not having the team um, I played my freshman year in college and then like injury kept going and I had the similar thing where I was like, maybe, you know, these injuries are telling me it's time to be mm-hmm. like a normal person again. So <laughs> I tried that and stepping away from the game, it was like, oh, I don't have my team. I don't have my tribe. Like anxiety kicked in and you're not playing a sport for three to four hours a day. So like, you're not just burning all your yeah, energy. Like, and what being, do I do? <laughs> yeah, so you have to find other ways to kind of ground yourself. But 
is that kind of something you you gravitated to right out of it? And once you kind of you know built up your your degree and your expertise, did you start tackling that right away? It was like the anxiety and the confidence and stuff like that. Yeah, right away that clicked. And so um, at the time, we Boston University was one of the only areas, one of the only schools in the area that had a counseling and sports psychology um, master's program. And we were, we would play BU. (laughs) So I would go and I would get familiar with Boston. And then slowly by my junior year, I was set that after college, that was the next step that I was going to go to BU. um, And I was going to, you know, get that dual degree. Um, I probably only applied to about three other grad programs as backups, but BU was definitely definitely on Boston's the radar. amazing that was yeah. where I spent my freshman year all right yeah and it was a similar, I could have gone like D, I was a D2 D3 athlete and uh I could have gone like D2 and like been more prestigious but because of Boston the city I went D3 and I was just like in love with it yeah it's an amazing city it was great I mean I didn't get to enjoy it that much being in grad school and <laughs> true, it was like true. and what was great though was that that program you have a clinical practicum so I was at North Shore Recovery High School Whereas working with um, it's uh, kids just come to school. It's a high school for kids in recovery. So mm. anything from alcohol, we had a lot of heroin use. Um, wow. So it was it was heavy, but I loved it because I was getting to work with teenagers every day. And then on the flip side, you had your sport practicum. So one of the local colleges, you would basically be. Um, you would be their sports psych for any team that the school wanted to use you for. So wow. you, so it was great because I was still with like teams. So I was still at six a.m. practices or, or seven p.m. But yeah. it was a lot, so I didn't get to always enjoy Boston as much as. But you got them. Yeah, yeah I was there though. <laughs> and so, what are uh, you know stepping into now? You're you got your degree. That's kind of the backstory. And now mm-hmm. you're into it. So. We talk about teenagers, and teenagers are a large majority of, like, my audience, I believe, like, high school, early college, even right before high school. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are dealing with similar things like this. So what are some of the most, like, whether it's your clinical or your sports psychology side of things, what is the most common threads you see in terms of, like, what people need help with? Yeah, so one of the reasons why I started to specialize with that age is because I felt like we... The demands of sport or just life in general now with school, getting into college, the demands are so high that we're not teaching that there's skills to cope with it. Everyone thinks there's like this like confidence that you're born with or not or, you know, we have to do everything perfect. And so I started to say like, okay, like if I'm seeing this on a daily basis, it's really confidence is probably the biggest one. Um and when you think about even sport culture, we just, we always say like, we'll just go out there, just focus, just be confident, just walk the walk. Yeah. And then everyone's like, okay, that's great, but how? Yeah. And, that's, and so that's, that's the number one question I get is confidence. And so that's really, and that's what I get a lot. And because and it's a skill, that's what I tell everyone. We need to build that skill. We need to do some anxiety reduction. I get that a lot, but a lot of the anxiety comes from the expectation that, we're supposed to know how to do this. And that's where I looked back in my career and said, oh my gosh, if I had had this when I was in yeah. high school transitioning to college, my I truly believe my whole college experience would have been different. And I'm similar. So how 
people, that's how I felt. I was like, I didn't know how to do any of these things, how to build confidence or especially the anxiety is a big one, like how to deal with it. So how do you start with trying to help someone develop confidence? Yeah, so a lot of times as an athlete, I would say 90% of my athletes are perfectionists. And I always tell them, I know because I'm a recovering <laughs> perfectionist, so I get it. Um, but with that, I think that drive is what makes a lot of people go into athletics. It's that drive, the good side of it. Now, when it becomes unbalanced is when we're in trouble. And so what happens is that we always are looking to critique our game, and then we're never looking at what's going right. So I want them to keep that drive, but we start to really look at Things like I'll have my athletes do a personal scouting report on themselves. So, mm. all right, I want you to go ahead and list, like, if I was about to play you, what are the things that I would need to know? What are your strengths? I don't want you always just to go straight to what do you need to work on. Um, and I think that's a big one. And I like that. Um, there's a couple tools like that that have been kind of in the field and I can't take ownership of them. <laughs> but totally. one that I love is three, two, one. After a game or practice, three things you did well, two things to improve on, and one action that you're going to take. Wow. And it just flips it around because the first thing that happens after practice or a game and, and parents and coaches are guilty of doing this too is we say, all right, well, how'd you do? And the first thing is we go straight to outcome or stats or we're not always saying like all right how did I measure my effort or how did I measure my leadership today so flipping it to three things you did well immediately yeah. just changes that that balance and I like that you so it doesn't have to be outcome necessarily like it could be like maybe you didn't have a good stats game but if you have to list three things that you did well I can imagine that points you to think about things that like are out of the box like, quote-unquote, out of the box. Yeah, I had one athlete the other day. I was like, you know what? I showed up, like, on time. And I was struggling from school and stress. And you know what? I got there, and I did it. And I was like, I will take that. That is great. That you is... thought through it. You're being gritty. Like, yeah. that's great. And then we really focus on that one action because what happens with confidence, too, is then we start to dwell on what we didn't do well. Mm. And we just keep thinking about that. And we go down that spiral. And so this way we're saying, okay, I'm letting myself think about what I want to improve on, but then I'm taking action and ownership tomorrow. I'm not just going to keep thinking, I'm going to act. And that's part of getting out of our head and into action. I like that. And so I'm going to, I'm going to act, I'm going to put this into action. So say I just had a game. I say, Mm -hmm. uh, I was really vocal. Uh, my three things I did get, I was vocal. I rebounded well, and, uh, I made my open shot. Two things I need to work on were blah, 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 blah. What, what does a common, like, action and then the last one is one thing of action so like what is the action is it directed at improving one of the things i did bad so maybe i didn't dribble the wall well and i turned it over is that one action like something i need to work on that was towards the negative is it any piece of action i go both ways so whatever works that week so we're really like okay you know i'm really feeling bad about my ball handling all right my action is gonna be tomorrow for 15 minutes after practice, I'm going to stay and work on, on skills that way. I like that. Um, that's fine. Or if we're like, hey, you know what? My shooting is going really well right now. Then I'm also going to stay and just take extra reps and keep that momentum. So it can work either way. Um, I kind of customize it to what the athlete's going through. Cool. Yeah. And then so you're saying like over time by doing this, like shifting our focus into the positive recognizing the negative and maybe taking action right away that slowly builds that confidence that builds it and the other big one is just the way we talk to ourselves 
Um, there's some research out there that shows like athletes on average say about 250 words to themselves per minute. Wow. If that could be small things like, you know, someone's driving to my left, slide right, like, or it could be something like I'm playing horrible today. It's a whole spectrum of of comments that we're taking in. And so I tell all my athletes, I don't take a rainbows and butterflies approach. I'm not going to be here to be like, okay, today's the day I'm going to go from feeling like I'm, you know, not playing well as I'm the best player in the league. We're not here to to fluff it that way. Yeah. I want you to really be realistic though. And so that also comes from building confidence. So, okay, if you're saying um, should have, could have, would have, you're in the past, you're in the last play. If you're saying I have to, need to, must, we just instantly put so much pressure on the next play we're not in the moment Mm. so I really have athletes work on that self-talk so um even shifting it to I will that's very much more empowering than you know I need to or I have to or I can't um so really like I will statements or things like that and and keeping it intentional and that's why that one action goes hand in hand with the self-talk i love the i love the self-talk and then just the the mindful use of vocabulary i feel like that's important yeah and does that kind of so you talk about confidence and i like that because it's also you're making it a point that it's not like rainbows and butterflies like confidence is a tricky thing because you don't want (laughs) to you can't fake like if you're a horrible basketball player you shouldn't have like (laughs) like the most confidence in the room but then you don't want to also be like if you're mid-tier, you don't want to be so anxious that you're getting in your own way. So mm-hmm. it's definitely that balance. Yeah, it's about being realistic in that sense. But it's it's interesting how I even have right now, I have uh, a guy going to the NFL hopefully in the next couple of weeks, and he kept saying, I think, when I asked him about his strengths. Mm. So even there, you're just showing hesitation. So if I feel it, then you have to be feeling it in your own head by saying, I think my speed is yeah. a strength. So taking that out, I think, or anything like and that. And being mindful of the vocab. And do you, yeah. So let's talk about that, being more intentional at the words we use. Does that come down to like some sort of mindfulness practice? Do you kind of talk about that as well with your athletes? Yeah. I'm I'm really fortunate that I got trained by Dr. Amy Baltzell, who is now the president of the Association of Applied Sports Psychology. And she's my professor and she is a mindfulness guru. (laughs) Um, But, you know, for me as an athlete, that was always hard and actually like scary. Mindfulness was scary to me because that was time where, oh, if I'm being mindful then all my anxious thoughts are going to come in. And so I see that a lot with my athletes is like they almost um, resist mindfulness because they think it's just like sitting in peace and sometimes that's too anxiety provoking so we do a lot of mindfulness but more just like active mindfulness in the sense of um I'll start to give them assignments of just keeping a self-talk log or you know some of them will even just text it to me when they're thinking certain thoughts before during and after and then we'll practice being mindful after what's a what's a self-talk log like what is that? Um, like where they're actually writing down right before practice. What are you thinking and saying to yourself? Mm. I'm, you know, and then we can see if there's trends. But I think there's also like this misconception about mindfulness that you have to like go sit in a room for 30 minutes mm-hmm. and, totally. you know, zen be yoga. zen and yeah. just do yoga for it and like <laughs> not think of anything. And so that's where as athletes, I think some of the new mindfulness tricks are really important. You know, one one trick I give some of the athletes 
some most men don't drive yet so there's a driving one though where it's like okay how many times do you drive from school to the to your house every day do you know how many stoplights there are Mm. no because you're just kind of driving mindlessly or in the bathroom in the morning you usually get up and go to the bathroom do you know how many steps it takes from your bed to your bathroom door Mm. so there's just tricks about being more present that way that i find like a lot of my athletes like those types of activities a little bit more i like that yeah and in my (laughs) shift into mindfulness i try i do I've meditated for a long time, but I've found that as I've gotten older, there is definitely other ways to go about it. Yeah. (laughs) Because sitting there for 10 minutes and trying to focus on your breath for a lot of people is just not going to work or they'll just sit there and nothing will happen. Mm -hmm. So I like that you talk about logging. I've talked about journaling before and I've tried to help athletes with the benefits of like writing out, like just stream of consciousness writing. Because it's a cool way to like, if you're not aware of the vocab you're using, you can usually see it when you write it out. Mm-hmm. So do you guys kind of push a lot of things that put pen to paper? Um, so I really try to match it with like the learning style of an athlete, though. So that's mm-hmm. why some so of them will do that. I even had one athlete, though, who just recorded it on his phone. Um, so it just came more natural for him to be a little bit more auditory and hear it back yeah, totally. and verbal. Um, so that was cool. But yeah, I push a lot of it and I try to tell my athletes some of the worksheets are not supposed to be like schoolwork or homework. They're just more to get that self-awareness. That's the first piece. Like we can be aware of how we're acting and feeling, then we can change it. So I work from a cognitive behavioral uh, therapy standpoint, which basically means our thoughts impact how we feel and then impact our behavior. And as athletes, our thoughts impact how we feel and then impact how we perform. So that's kind of how I really start with that thought. So you start with the awareness. I like that a lot. And then you also said, I'm going to backtrack a little. You you said the big two are confidence, and we kind of talked about that, and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Does anxiety and anxiousness from like a, also from a severe standpoint, like I'm anxious before everything and before I talk to people, or even if it's just like I get anxious before a game, where are the approaches like, What's the common approaches you have to that? Are they similar to that of confidence and self-awareness or does it kind of, Um, I know this is a, they're tough because this is, it's overarching things. I know case by case, like you treat all your athletes differently, I'm sure. But I'm thinking of like common themes or like some of the very common practices. I would say most of the anxiety is because whether it's an athlete, whether it's a student, or if it's socially, everyone's thinking about the outcome. So they're thinking about if it's social anxiety, okay, if I say this, then the outcome, they're actually thinking about like how that person's going to react or what that person's going to think of them. Same thing with the athlete. Their anxiety comes from if I don't play well today, then X, Y, and Z could happen. Or if I don't get a 90 on this test, then... I won't get into college or I won't. We go like so far into the future, this outcome focus. And I think that's where sometimes in clinical work, it's a little bit easier than sport in the sense that sport, we have, the reality is there is an outcome. There's going to be a winner or loser. There's going to be stats. Mm -hmm. So kind of getting athletes to shift away from thinking about um, that outcome and more to the present. That's where it goes back to the some of the mindfulness so for example um i tell a lot of people with anxiety we kind of like a worry brain and then a reality and we have to combat that so the reality is okay maybe i didn't score 
10 points, but I scored eight. Yeah. Finding the reality of that. And so taking people away from that outcome-oriented kind of just mitigate that anxiety a little bit. Oh, yeah. That's probably the most because basically, like I said, anxiety is when we're mentally time-traveling. So what yeah. I mean by that is we are in the future of the what-ifs, <laughs> like, have to, need to. I'm a victim to that. Like, that's why I'm like, I'm asking you like yeah. a little more because like you're, spe- yeah. you're speaking to me. Like, um, if I'm anxious, it comes in the form of like, like I can't sleep at night because I'm thinking of like 9,000 outcomes that could happen from this one thing that I know when it's over, I'll be like, that wasn't nothing to be anxious about. But nonetheless, and I work on my mindfulness and my, my self-awareness and things like that. And I'm aware of it, but sometimes it is, you know, it's just, you, you can't help but think of all the outcomes and how you want you want to succeed so bad mm-hmm. and it just comes down to what you're saying it's staying in the present yeah it's really and it's hard do you still but... cope with that yourself like if you have a big meeting say or you're working with like you know some huge athlete or you're I don't know or you have like a high pressure client that you know you're worried about a certain outcome do you still kind of deal with those kind of things or has your your level of knowledge and, and mindfulness kind of mitigated that? I think it's it's definitely improved. I think totally. part of it though is like people ask me, then what's the biggest tool you teach them to be present? And that's simple. That's just breathing, belly breathing. It's mm. everyone thinks I'm gonna have like this big, great like secret, and I wish I was. But really, you cannot be more in the moment and mindful than when you're focused on your breathing. So that's a really big one. I teach all my athletes. Uh, belly breathing and we incorporate that but I think the other part though is is that we talk about like this outcome or this zone that you're supposed to be in so there's like pressure to always be there and so I really have athletes step back and that goes back to that self-awareness of like okay like what do I have to do to get there so we get we shift again to the process what am I doing today to give myself the best possible chance and that sometimes eliminates the what ifs. Because mm. if we have a game plan, we feel confident about it. And then we feel like, okay, I'm controlling what I can control. The other what if factors now are not. That's important. And uh, control the uncontrollable. So <laughs> if, the, if the things go wrong, you know you at least did your best, basically, in that sense. Yeah, and, then and that's a big one. Talk to me one more sec about the belly yeah. breathing. because. Uh, I haven't heard it put that way, to be honest. The belly breathing. So yeah, what's the, so it's what, diaphragmatic it? breathing. Okay. Um, I was really mad as an athlete, and most people in my in my grad class were because we'd always just taken deep breaths and held it in our chest. And really, what physiologically that's telling your body <laughs> to do is get jacked up, mimic a panic attack, Whoa. basically. So whenever we're doing shallow chest breathing, um, that's not going to help calm down. So really focusing on Deep breaths, expanding your belly with air on the exhale, getting all that air out through your mouth. um, That's a really, that's a really big skill. So so I encourage yoga. I encourage just working on breathing techniques. Um, And doing it before we perform, I assume. Yeah. So a lot of my athletes make pregame routines um, and those routines don't start like 15 minutes before during warm-ups we start the day before Mm. um and we progress that energy as we go and so part of it will be breathing techniques the night before maybe at bedtime to relax and release some of those tension thoughts um all the way up to maybe right before the whistle blows taking three deep breaths no one needs to know you're doing it and you're just getting all the oxygen into your bloodstream into your muscles and calming down 
Yeah, no one needs to know you're doing it. I think I would have benefited from that. I used to cramp a lot as an athlete, like really severe muscle cramps. Mm -hmm. And I'd be hydrated and I would have my bananas and I'd be taking magnesium. But I think a big part of it was like I grew up as almost like a mouth breather too. And I feel like it might have been that I wasn't giving my muscles enough oxygen. Yeah. and I always viewed deep breathing as something like like no one needs to know you're doing it. I always viewed it as like you need to be like super intense and dramatic. Yeah, when you're breathing, no, but you it really can, can be just... really discreet. And that's why I tell all my athletes, because <laughs> especially as an athlete, the minute we start to have stressful thoughts, there is a mind-body connection. So your muscle tension is going to start to increase. And most sports, we cannot play very well when we're tense. So mm-hmm. Um, for example, I work with a lot of baseball players. It's like, okay, the minute you start to feel that type of tension in your shoulders and your grip, your swing is going to be off. Mm. So we really, for at-bat routines in particular, three deep breaths before getting into the box is like a gimme. Yeah, that's sick. I like that you say yeah, and so it's like a mindset thing. It'll calm you down. It'll reduce anxiety, but it also actually helps your body perform because the looser you are, the better, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, before we start recording, you told me about, we don't have to get into specifics, but you're, you know, you're a consultant for Mamba Academy, and mm-hmm. they have events here, and there's some high-caliber athletes, and one of the athletes you know, looked around and saw like some of the most high-caliber NBA legends like Magic Johnson and and Pat Riley, maybe Kobe, all watching this guy work out. And he had like a little panic attack and he came to you and said, I'm freaking out. So maybe walk me through that little story and how you kind of calmed him down. Cause I think that's, it's a cool anecdote to show like how even some of the best athletes, you know, training for NBA level yeah. coaches <laughs> get some of these things. And it's like across the board, people are dealing with this. Yeah. Um, Well, that's what's funny because I do get asked that a lot. Like, what's the difference between working with, like, your six-year-old golfer and then your NBA athletes? And honestly, there is no difference. We all deal with the same thing. So it's just how I teach the skills. The skills are all the same. And and with that athlete, it was pro day here at Mama Sports Academy. and, And I couldn't lie to him. The NBA was literally staring him in the eye. Um... And he grabbed me, but I was really glad that he did because what we did is, speaking of breathing, we just stepped away. Um, and we went to a back bleacher. We did some breathing exercises. Um, I usually have the app Calm, um, which is a bunch of mindfulness. Um, and I just kind of like let him sit there for two minutes going through a mindfulness meditation. Nice. Um, and then walked him through some breathing exercises and you know, I think that just shows that the anxiety, the pressure just keeps going. It's not, doesn't stop when you kind of reach a peak and totally. it doesn't go away just because you've made it. Um, now he's in his rookie year and, and doing great. But, you know, those are all skills that he even says he continues to use now. Yeah, it's a continual practice. Yeah. Is there any quick um, breathing technique you could give me in the audience right now that we could like try to apply today? Like, Something simple, like, uh, I don't know, like, besides meditation and just focusing on your breath, is there something you do with, like, counting, or I'm trying to think, like... Yeah, usually, um, so there's, like, a really simple app I use called BioBreathing. BioBreathing. And I usually just use that, and basically you can set the count to what you want. So we'll do, like, an inhale, and I'll count to five, and an exhale, count to five. You can also 
change it though. So if your inhale is like comfortable on a five count and your exhale on a three, then you can manipulate it that way and you watch the screen and it just gives you a way to kind of track your breathing if no one else is around. You kind of mm. watch the monitor go up and down. Oh, that's um, cool. And again, it's just a really good... It's a good way to just be mindful of the breath. Yeah, and just present. Then you're just focused on the here and now. And so you work with athletes, you work with teenagers that aren't in the game, but we both have connected on the fact that like applying these mindset and mental health practices can help us perform but it'll help us be like better people and Mm -hmm. happier people like how has it been really rewarding during the work you've been doing and like like what do you get out of what you do because it for me it's easy to see that like what you're doing is super beneficial and you're making like such powerful impacts on people's lives but like how is it on your end like how how is the work you do yeah I can't say I'd want any other job as corny as that sounds like I really do love it it's really fun um but my favorites are like the kids I've worked with since they were like 12 or 13 and now are at colleges that they wanted to go to playing or not are just happy there and and those are always fun stories to kind of get back or watching you know the guys make it to the league and have a successful career but I think um yeah it's it's really rewarding, but having it be more about, you know, a balanced lifestyle versus just, again, that outcome. And mm-hmm. so um, it's also been a cool transition to have actually been working with a lot of executives lately and coaching oh, them. Yeah. So it's that ex-athletes, a lot of them are ex-athletes and love that mentality, but now yeah. know it needs to fit into the personal life and the business realm and that's been a really cool area of consulting totally and that's kind of what my platform is kind of geared towards it's definitely for athletes but it's those entrepreneur type people too or mm-hmm. it's all it's like human optimization basically it's like having mm-hmm. the most happy and healthy and balanced like yeah. human experience and, I, and I say sports psychology but when it comes down to it it's performance psychology so yeah. life school sport yeah. business it's it's really just about what can we do to give ourselves, you know, the best chance and the best edge that we can. And I think this is definitely taking um, big strides. Do you think this is going to be like, where do you think this is right now in terms of like widely accepted type of ideology and where do you see it going in the next like five years? Um, I think that's been, what's been really cool about the field is I remember like when I first told even my parents who are super supportive, like I'm going to go into sports psychology. They were like, what is that? And how are you going to pay your bills? Right. And so, um, I think it's really great that there's, there's a lot out there right now. It's only growing. I think it's also great that we have a lot of, uh, pro athletes kind of paving the way for it to be okay to talk about mental health, to be okay to talk about just performance anxiety, that we're not robots, we're not perfect. And so that's been a huge game changer. The fact that words like mindfulness or grit and all of that is just kind of coming out as more more common and less stigma. And yeah. I think it's definitely improving as I keep working especially with these NBA and NFL pre-draft classes I would say 60% of my guys with a sports psych or psychologist before Um, so it's really great to see that it's like getting normal at like the college level to have these resources and that's what I tell all the guys and girls that it's it's a resource it's coaching just like you would go and lift before a season you've got to do it mentally as well so I think there's definitely a big field growing I want to close it out what would you um 
what kind of advice would you give yourself looking back on those like anxious college days and, and knowing <laughs> what you know now and, and with all the people you've helped? <laughs> what kind of advice would you give to yourself? Um, probably slow down. Just enjoy where you are, but take advantage of those resources. I tell all my athletes, probably one of my biggest regrets was not taking advantage of using my sports sites more. I used them as a team, but I could have used them more, you know, individually and seeing it as something that it's not because it's something's wrong, just because I want to be better. And so I think kind of that type of pride a little bit. Yeah, I was, I was thing. Uh, athlete ego, yeah. you know, is that, in is that us. Really, I was going to be a question. Us. I yeah. didn't take advantage of some of the resources that I had available to me, even like mindset-wise and then even just school-wise. Like, mm-hmm. I had so many resources I could have took advantage of and that's one of the things I wish I did. Do you think that's ego and like pride? I'm like, I, I don't need help. I'm fine. Like, a little and I think that that is part of that stigma that I'm hoping we're moving away from. I remember being like, well, I don't want my coach to know because if my coach knows I'm seeing someone will... You know, she think I'm not confident, and then that leads to less confidence yeah. and less play time. And I wish I had just seen it more as like, you know, this is a diff- another type of training to just be better all around, a yeah. better student, a better athlete, a better person. And so, I really tell all my athletes I preach that to all of them. That's like, just look at it as going from good to great or great to greater yeah. instead of it being something bad. It's like, <laughs> instead of injury prevent, or injury, like, like working on an injury, you're like doing yeah. injury prevention almost. Exactly. Mind. I like exactly. that. Way to put it. Well, Devin, thank you for hopping on the podcast. No I'm sure everybody took a ton of value and uh, what you're doing is super important. So awesome. well, keep thank doing you what you're for doing. having me. Of course. Thanks again to Devin for hopping on the podcast. And thanks for listening, guys. As always, hit me up on Instagram. I'm super active on there. If you have any feedback, I love the feedback. It's awesome. I want to give a quick shout out to my boy, Justin Jones. Justin is my audio engineer, man. He puts these podcasts together for me. He makes my voice sound better than it is. He adds the beats. My boy, Justin, I'm going to tag him in the show notes on the podcast. If you want to give my boy a shout out, go to his Instagram. He makes beats. He makes music. He makes all my podcasts sound good. Hit him up. Spam him a little bit. Say what up. It would mean a lot to me. That guy's my guy, and he's been helping me out. The podcast wouldn't be what it is without my guy, Justin Jones. Thanks again for listening, guys. We have some epic podcasts coming up. The guests are have just been incredible. I'm super grateful that this project has been evolving into what it is, and uh, appreciate you guys for supporting. Until next week, I'll see you guys later.